You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name is Harrison Ford. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's great to be with you this afternoon. Whenever a child is learning to talk, the words or the phrases that they latch onto are often a window into their emerging personality. Let me use my kids as an example. Uh, For Wallace, our oldest, his favorite phrase was roll cars. And if you know Wally, you know that checks out. He loves, to this day, he loves Hot Wheels. And for our youngest son, Ames, he doesn't have many words yet, but his favorite word right now is ball. And if you've had him in the nursery, you understand. One of his favorite things to do is to throw balls especially at your face. For our Ivy, our middle daughter, her phrase was, me got it. Me got it. And again, it checks out. She's very independent. The problem was, though, that she would mostly say, me got it, when she very obviously didn't have it. She would, be, uh, she would have just learned to walk And she was trying to go up and down our stairs uh, when we lived here in the fan. And she would be, you know, tottering. And every moment you'd have a, you know, my stomach would jump in in my throat because I could just see her falling down the stairs. So I'd go to try and grab her hand and she'd pull it away and go, me got it. And then at dinner, she would be done with her dinner. She would uh, be trying to carry her scraps on her plate to the trash can. And the scraps would be getting everywhere. And I'd go to try and grab her plate, and she'd say, me got it, though she obviously didn't have it. But the thing is, uh, it, it's hard, it, was hard to, it was not hard to be frustrated with her, or it was hard to be frustrated with her, because whenever she did that, she had a lot of her father in her. You see, though I may not vocalize it, uh, much of the way that I live functionally communicates, I've got it, don't worry, I've got it. And, you know, my deep-seated pride causes me to live in such a way that I look and say, I've got it. I'm in control. But then, when that facade of control starts to crumble, which happens often a lot, uh, my deep-seated sense of shame prevents me from asking people for help. And so I still go, no, 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 no. I got it. I wonder if you do this too. I imagine that most of us do. Self-sufficiency is something that is taught to us from a very early age. It's one of the pillars of our uh, cultural identity. It can be communicated in a more um, American dream kind of style. Stand up on your own two feet, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. God helps those who help themselves. Or it can be communicated even in a more therapeutic style. Self-care, you do you, follow your own heart. However you encounter it, though, the message is the same. 
At the end of the day, everything is up to you, and life is what you make of it. In other words, me got it. Now, this kind of independence is portrayed in our culture as being something that is empowering and liberating. It's the ethos of the girl boss and the alpha male. But the reality is, it's terrifying. It's kind of like being shipwrecked alone on an island. No wonder, then, that all of us are so anxious all the time. Well, today's passage that we're going to look at, I think, presents an alternative. It says that freedom doesn't come from independence, but rather freedom comes from dependence. And one of the best ways that we learn dependence is through prayer. You see, we're in a sermon series right now looking at the Lord's Prayer. And the sermon series is called A Praying Church. And so we're asking how the Lord's Prayer might form us into a more prayerful community. Well, today we're going to consider the petition, give us each day our daily bread. And I believe in this petition, it tells us that one of the keys to being a prayerful church is being a dependent church. So if you would, please turn with me. We're going to look at Luke 11, 1 to 4. This is where we find the Lucan version of the Lord's Prayer, Luke 11, 1 to 4. It says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I said, in order to be a praying church, we have to be a dependent church And this is also true for us as individuals. If if you're going to grow in your prayer life, you have to come in touch with your neediness, your dependence upon God. And I want to suggest that this petition, give us this day our daily bread, helps us to do that. And so what I want to do this afternoon is I want to peel back the onion layers of this petition, and I want to consider three truths that I think it gives us that helps illuminate our neediness for God. Those three truths are, you belong to God, you aren't in control, and you have what you need. First, you belong to God. You know, the, funny, the funniest thing about Ivy asserting her independence is that she was doing it against the backdrop of her being utterly dependent upon me and Brittany for everything in her life. We fed her, we bathed her, we strolled her, we tucked her in at night. So she may have seen herself as independent, me got it, but the reality was she was utterly dependent upon us. And actually, independence would not have been a good thing for her. 
I mean, again, she can't feed herself. She can't take herself places. She couldn't uh, bathe herself. It was good and natural for her to be dependent upon us as her parents. Well, the same thing is true for us with God. While we might think of ourselves as independent, the masters of our own life, the reality is that we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. Every breath, every heartbeat, every firing neuron is contingent upon His gracious providence. You see, one of the most fundamental elements of the Christian worldview isn't just that God created everything, but it's that He upholds and sustains it at every moment. And because of this, everyone, regardless of their religious belief, belongs to God. You didn't create yourself. You don't sustain yourself. The air that you breathe, the ground that you walk upon, it belongs to the Lord of heaven and earth. As David says in Psalm 24, the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, I recognize that this may not be a popular thing to say. Our our society is this kind of chaotic mixture of pluralism and secularism. And so what ends up happening is that our common life is governed by this idea that religious neutrality entails functional atheism. Religious neutrality entails functional atheism. And here's what I mean by that. You and I go throughout our day in spaces where the unspoken or sometimes spoken rule is this. Yeah, your God may exist in your mind, but he doesn't exist here. Or maybe put another way, yeah, you may believe in God, but don't bring him into this space. And the problem is, you swim in that, lo- in that water for long enough and you start to smell like it. Uh, for even the most devout of us, we spend so much of our day having to act like God isn't relevant to the people around us unless they believe in him. Or people around us don't owe God anything unless they decide to. And eventually, that seeps into us, and it makes, us hard, makes it hard for us to swallow this very basic biblical teaching that we are not our own, but belong to God. And that fundamentally undermines our sense of dependence upon God because it suggests that it's possible to live without Him. But again, the Bible says no. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And I want to suggest to you that this is actually really great news. Because admitting your dependence upon God is the first step into true and lasting freedom and peace. Listen to how uh, this is described in the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. I I put an excerpt of it in the worship guide. The question is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. 
You see, just like it's not only natural but good for a child to depend upon their parent for everything, the same is true for us. It is both natural and good for us to depend upon our Heavenly Father for everything. And the way that you grow in that dependence is by praying frequently, Father, give us each day our daily bread. Now, this leads me into my second point. You're not in control. If you're wholly dependent upon God, then it follows that he's in control, not you. You know, before I preach a text like this, I like to ask a bunch of people about it to get uh, other people's insights into it because I'm not that smart and other people are. Well, this week I asked three different groups of people about this text. I asked our, uh, our church staff at our staff meeting. I talked with my city group about it, and I talked with my Thursday men's Bible study about it. And all three groups really latched on to this word daily, contrasting it with the way that when we typically plan, it's not for our daily needs, but it's for our monthly, yearly, or even lifetime needs. How are we doing on our monthly budget? Have we put money into the kids' uh, uh, college account? How's our rainy day fund doing? Do we have enough money to retire? For millennials, that's a very active question. Um, But because of this, praying, give us each day our daily bread, can feel naive. It can feel vulnerable. It can maybe even feel a bit irresponsible. Really, Jesus? Daily bread? In this economy? You know, I get paid, uh, I get paid uh, twice a month, so why not bi-weekly bread on the 1st and 15th? Just like work. You know, as I, as I thought about it this week, what I think I, the realization that I think I came to is that the reason that we chafe at this part of the Lord's Prayer is because we don't like to feel out of control. You see, when we pray, give us each day our daily bread, we're not just asking for food. What we're asking God is, God, give us the fundamental needs that I have to live. Give me the basics, my necessities. And that is typically the stuff that we like to have a lot of control over. I mean, this is the basics of personal finance, Have enough money to pay your bills, to put some food on the table, and to have a roof over your head. Make sure you can control that you have uh, the necessities met. But this prayer presses our sense of control. It makes us lift our heads up from our long-range planning and admit that our daily existence isn't within our control, and rather it's dependent upon and controlled by our Heavenly Father. Now the problem is that we as a society are obsessed with control. And much of that has to do with our technology. I mean, think about it just with our phones. I raised my hand up like I have a phone. It's in my pocket. Think about our phones and how we control things with it. On our banking app, we control our finances. On our social media apps, we control our image. On, um, our, on Google Maps or whatever map app you use, you control time because you're trying to 
optimize how long it takes to get places. With our, uh, our mindfulness apps, we try and control our anxiety. With games and YouTube and Twitter, uh, we try and numb ourselves to the gnawing sense that everything is actually out of our control. We're obsessed with control. And the sick irony of all of this is the thing that we actually use to try and control things is the thing that ends up controlling us. I mean, who among us actually has a healthy relationship with their phone? I know one person in Richmond, my friend Danny Heineman. He has a, like a flip phone from 1999. He has a healthy relationship with his phone. But I think even worse than this is that the illusion of control that technology affords us. And the problem with that is that that illusion of control always has a limit. Eventually, you get a really bad diagnosis, or you get laid off from your job, or you get broken up with, or your child keeps coming back from school with notes from the teacher, even though you try so hard to help them out. And when that happened, the illusion of control is broken. The question is, what do you do in that moment? Do you try and double down on control? Do you slip into despair and depression? Do you try and just put your head down and numb yourself and make it through the day? What do you do in that moment? What if... In that moment, you prayed, Father, give us each day our daily bread. What if you let yourself rest in the fact that God is in control? You see, Scripture offers us a better alternative to the illusion of control. Listen again to how the Heidelberg Catechism defines God's providence. I love this. It says, By his almighty and ever-present power, he upholds heaven and earth and all creatures— and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Let me repeat that last line again. Indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Our Obsession with control is a result of thinking that we belong to ourselves. It's a maladaption to the lie that at the end of the day, everything's up to me. It's an anxious reaction to the feeling that there's no one else who's got my back, no one else who's ultimately looking out for me. But in the Lord's Prayer, we're shown a better way. Father, give us daily our daily bread. Have you ever wondered how children can be so carefree and joyful even when there's such terrible things happening in the world and maybe even in your own life? How can children be so carefree and joyful when there's so many terrible things happening? You know, sometimes I think we chalk it up to youthful naivety, and maybe that's part of it. But I think there's more to it, and I think at least part of that has to do with the parents. You see, if a child has parents that they can trust, they can be as free as a lark because they know that someone else is looking out for them, that someone else is in control. 
And if you've ever met a child that can't trust their parents, maybe this is you, you've seen how that can uh, cause a child to be jaded, to have their spirit be broken, to have them weighed down because they feel like they are the only person looking out for themselves. No one else has their back. Maybe that's how you feel today. Well, the good news is this. Put that same child in a different situation. Maybe put them around a loving grandparent or uh, adoptive parents or maybe even just a good and attentive camp counselor. Put them in that situation and you see that this child that had been broken comes back to life. They're like a, a, a daisy that had been stepped on that springs back up when it's revived by the afternoon sun. And that's what's on offer to me and you in this prayer. The childlike freedom of knowing that we belong to God and he is in control. Now, this brings me to my final point. You have what you need. So if if it's true that we belong to God and that he is in control, then it logically follows that what you have right now, whatever the daily bread is that God has given to you, is what you need because it comes from him. No more, no less. You have what God has determined that you need for the day. Now, this can be a really hard thing for us to hear because most of us are not content with what we have. I mean, I get it. I, I'm, I'm a person just like you. We're not content with our job. I'm content with my job. <laughs> uh, we're not content with, you aren't content with your job. <laughs> we're not content with our house. We're not content with our relationship status. We can all think of places of discontent in our life. And this is understandable because our culture is built in such a way that it manufactures discontent. One of my favorite uh, thinkers and writers is a guy named Michael Sacassis. And some of you might know that name because during COVID, we did a formation class on Zoom about technology, irony of ironies. And uh, Sacassis actually met with us very graciously and, and spent uh, a little over an hour talking with us about technology. He has a substack. And he wrote this article called Ill with Want. And I want to read it to you, a quote from it. It's, it's a bit long, I apologize, but it just hits the nail on the head. He says this, Our economic order and the ostensible health of our society is premised on the generation of insatiable desires, chiefly for consumer goods and services. Your contentment and mine would wreak havoc on the existing order of things. That's enough, thanks is arguably a radical sentiment. Only by the perpetual creation of novel needs and desires can economic growth be sustained given how things presently operate. So, just about every aspect of our culture is designed to make us think that happiness, or something like it, always lies on the other side of more. Now, what he describes here is problematic in so many different ways, but it's problematic especially for our soul. Because whenever we buy into the lie that happiness lies on the other side of more, we often fall into the trap of valuing the gift rather than the giver. 
And this is actually what God is warning the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8, which David read for us earlier. He's telling the Israelites, he says, I'm going to bring you into a land of abundance. But when you're in that land of abundance, don't let the abundance make you forget me. He says this, he, he describes the land of abundance. He says, you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But then he says this, take care lest you forget your God, lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when you have herds, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your hearts will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God. Now the problem here isn't with abundance. Remember, God is giving them the abundance. He's leading in them into the abundance. And actually, he's told for all of us who are in here, who are in Christ, he said an even greater abundance awaits us when he returns in the new heavens and the new earth. So the problem isn't the abundance. The problem here is the way in which the abundance has uh, led the Israelites and us into this lie that the gift matters more than the giver. And this is the same temptation that comes to us when we're on this quest to satiate our discontent. To try harder and harder to give, to fill that hole in our heart. To try and achieve and find the happiness that lies on the other side of more. So, what is the secret to contentment? Father, Give us each day our daily bread. I want to suggest, and we pray this, three things happen. First, we acknowledge that we're dependent upon God for our daily needs. We acknowledge, God, what I need to make it through today can only come from you. Second, we teach ourselves to be content with what he's given us. So regardless of whether or not we actually think that we have what we need, we remind ourselves in this prayer that God has given us exactly what we need for the day. And then third, this prayer reorients our heart to value the giver over the gift. And it creates a sense of contentment within us with what he's given us. And friends, I hope you've realized that thus far, this prayer is so radically countercultural. And in praying it, we push back against the culture that is ill with want, as Sacassus puts it. And we offer to those around us an alternative path of confident contentment with what God has given. Now, in conclusion, uh, I want to return to where I began. Remember, I opened up by saying the words that a child latches on to when they're first learning to talk are revealing of their personality, of who they are. Well, for the church, the children of God, Our Heavenly Father has given us the Lord's Prayer so that we can have words to latch on to. Words that will reorient our heart towards belonging, towards contentment, towards resting in God's control. And just as a child learns to talk, often by repeating the things that their parents say back to them, we learn to talk to God by repeating what He's said to us. If you were here last week, Eric began the series by talking about how the Lord's Prayer offers a good framework from which we can then, we can riff on that and offer up our own prayers. And that's 
Absolutely true. That's an excellent way to use the Lord's Prayer, to use it as a template or a framework. But today, I also want to commend to you literally just praying the words of the Lord's Prayer and doing it often. You know, the best thing that has ever happened for my prayer life has been just literally praying the Lord's Prayer throughout the day. Most often, it just uh, it comes to me kind of at the spur of a moment. I just think I should pray the Lord's Prayer. I do it. But also, I have certain um, events or times of day that kind of uh, springboard me into saying the Lord's Prayer. A real strange one for me is whenever I'm on a plane, whenever the plane takes off and whenever it lands, I say the Lord's Prayer. And I, have, I literally have no idea where that came from. I have no idea when I started doing it, but it's just what I do now. And so what if, what if we did the same thing? What if when we, when we came to things in our day that tempt us to think that we belong to ourselves, that we're in control, that we don't have what we need, what if when we're tempted with that, we build in the habit of saying the Lord's Prayer? What if when we look at our bank account, we say the Lord's Prayer. Look, the Lord's Prayer is so short. You can say it in 15 seconds. When you look at your bank account, you say the Lord's Prayer. When you go in the grocery store, you say the Lord's Prayer. When you wake up and when you go to sleep, you say the Lord's Prayer so that you can book in your day with the truth that you are not your own. You belong, body and soul, to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, if we want to be a praying church, we have to be a dependent church. And the best way for us to grow in awareness of our dependence is to pray often, Father, give us daily our daily bread. And so, in fact, let's do that right now. To close the sermon, would you please join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.